920 will be the song after the lesson. Good morning. It is good to be back with you today. It is good to see all your faces. If you consider yourself a visitor this morning, we just want to say welcome. We are glad that you are in our presence this morning. And uh, Like I said, if you're a member of the congregation, we are so glad to be back with you today. Have you ever felt like you know a lot about the Bible? Have you ever felt like you've got a lot of knowledge and you can point to things in Scripture and say, this is why we do the things that we do and this is why we believe what we believe. And I think sometimes we get so concerned about theology and defending the faith and apologetics that sometimes we lose focus on having a relationship with Jesus Christ. We get so concerned about knowledge that we lose out on relationship with Jesus. And so sometimes I think we need to really focus on reading the Bible like we're in the story. Like we're there in first century Galilee, walking alongside the disciples. Because the truth is, the the Gospels are more than just Scripture. They're more than just the Word of God. They are first-hand accounts. Eyewitness accounts of what happened in the first century with the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so we should read our Bibles that way testimonies of real people who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and touched the scars in Jesus' hands and they were corrected by Jesus and instructed by Him. And so we should read the Gospels in that way. So as you read Scripture, have you ever put yourself in the story and walked alongside Jesus there in the first century? I mean, what would it have been like to be Peter? And you've been out fishing all night and you're tired and all you want to do is go home and rest. And so you get to the shore and you're about to put your boat in for the, for the day and there comes along Jesus. And he says, you know what, cast your nets out one more time. What would that have been like to be Jesus or to be Peter? What would it have been like to be the paralytic man who is lowered down through the roof just in the hopes that maybe Jesus will, will heal him? Wouldn't that have been amazing? Or what would it have been like to have been in the crowd listening to Jesus speak in the first century? And you're just shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters. And you're listening to Jesus speak. And the air is is full of warmth from everyone else's breath. And you're just sandwiched in there trying to hear Jesus talk. And you hear his parables. And he talks about the parable of the sower and the parable of the prodigal son and the parable of the lost sheep. And how amazing would that have been? Truly incredible to have been there. Can you imagine what it would have been like to maybe be at the foot of the cross as Jesus hangs there? Or maybe you got to go to the wedding and see Jesus turn water into wine. Or maybe you were at the tomb of Lazarus and you see Jesus tell him to come out and you see Lazarus walk again. And that brings me to the topic this morning. And this is a story that I just have found so interesting my whole life. The feeding of the 5,000. Now, this event would have taken place in the third year of Jesus' ministry. And in this story, Jesus turned five loaves of bread and two fish into enough food to feed at least 5,000 people. This is truly an amazing miracle. And what this event does for us is it demonstrates God's faithfulness. Many times we come to God in lack and in need. And we lack things and we have shortcomings and we come to Jesus with those things, and even still, He provides, and He provides abundantly. Many times we come to Jesus with doubt, 
And we all have doubt. And we bring those things to Jesus. And even in our doubt, He provides and He does it abundantly. God is faithful. Now, when we look at this story, I realize there are naysayers out there who will say, you know what, this story is too fantastic. It's too amazing of a miracle. But I would say that there are 5,000 people at least in first century Galilee who would have disagreed with you, who were actually there to witness the event. And can you imagine what it would have been like to be in the crowd that day? You know, leading up to the feeding of the 5,000, though, there's something interesting that happened there in the first century. Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, and he tells them to preach repentance, to go out into all the villages and preach repentance and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is what is known as the limited commission, if you've ever heard that phrase before, the limited commission. Now, we all know about the great commission. We as Christians are all told to go out and spread the gospel. And so this moment, the sending out of the twelve, is known as the limited commission because it was only to the twelve. We read in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them to go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so Jesus sends them out. And if you notice there, guess what? They're paired up into twos. Okay, And so Jesus sends them out two by two. We read, continuing on in verse 7, "...and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead." That's interesting. "...cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, so give without pay." Okay, so Jesus sends out his twelve disciples. They are given authority over demons and the ability to heal diseases. Do you think in this moment that any of them doubted? Do you think they doubted? I mean, they've been going with Jesus probably for three, two, three years now. They've got a lot of faith in Jesus. But now Jesus asked them to go out on their own. Uh, hey, Jesus, I don't know about this. But they go anyway. They trusted and they had faith. But the scary part is Jesus sent them off with nothing in this uh, limited commission. In Luke chapter 9, verse 3, we read, And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. <laughs> he tells them, Don't take two tunics, you only get one tunic. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So imagine that you're a disciple for a moment, and Jesus tells you that you've got to go out to these villages and start to preach the word. And he tells you to take nothing. I mean, no staff to help you walk. No bag to hold your items, no money, no food, and you can only take one jacket, one tunic. How would you feel at this point? And then Jesus says, and by the way, when people reject you, because they're going to reject you, just shake the dust off your feet. How would you feel in this moment? Yet the disciples went anyway. 
You know, folks, I worry sometime about, sometimes about my own personal ministry. And make no mistake about it, as a Christian, if you're a Christian this morning, we all have our own personal ministry. And I worry sometimes that I get so worried and so worked up about having the right words and having my timing just right. Will people reject me? And I get so worried about all the what-if scenarios. You know, oftentimes we look at the economy today and we get kind of worried. How are we going to provide for our loved ones? How are we going to provide and put a roof over our heads? And we get nervous about our careers. And, but, you know, sometimes we just got to get to work when God sends us out. And let God worry about all the what-if scenarios. We can create a million what-if scenarios. What if my wife gets sick? What if I lose my job? What if something happens to my child? But instead, we need to let God worry about that, and we just need to get to work whenever we're called out. And so the disciples are called out. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like to be in one of those villages that day as the disciples come walking around two by two? They come into your village, and they're standing in the street preaching about the kingdom of heaven coming soon, and you hear murmurs and People in your town are calling them crazy. And you hear about the coming of the kingdom of God from their own mouths. And then you begin to hear them speak about all the gifts that they've received. The gifts of healing. And now they they say that they have authority to cast out demons. And at this point, they would have warned us about coming judgment. And the disciples would have preached about fire and brimstone and Sodom and Gomorrah. And then they would have talked about the need for repentance. We must turn away for our, from our sin. We must turn away from our shameful acts. And we must prepare for the coming of our Lord. And so you listen to the disciples preach in your town about this. And you're skeptical. You don't know about all this. And you've heard rumors. You've heard rumors about this guy out in the wilderness, John the Baptist, who supposedly is preaching about baptism for repentance. So you've heard about John the Baptist, but now these disciples come and they mention John the Baptist, but then they talk about one who comes who is greater. One that not only has the power to make the lame walk, but one that has the power to forgive sins. You're interested, but you're still skeptical. Until you see the disciples begin to perform incredible miracles themselves. You see, not only do their words about repentance resonate within you deeply, but their ability to perform miracles strikes a deep chord in your heart. You see lepers who have been subjugated and pushed out of your village. You see them suddenly walking amongst the people. You even hear reports of dead people who are now walking amongst the people. And you see the town drunk who you've heard rumors that this town drunk may be possessed by a demon. And now you see him as sober as the day is long. And he is walking around clear of mind. Amazing miracles begin to take place. And finally, you are convinced. At least you recognize that you must find out more. You must find out about this God-man, Jesus Christ. And so you begin to follow. And maybe you follow the disciples from one town to the next. Or maybe you just hang back and wait for more instruction to come. Well, we pick back up in the story, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. 
for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So the disciples, the twelve, returned to Jesus. They tell Jesus all about their travels and their adventures and their exploits. And man, they are tired. They are worn out. Have any of you in the audience been door knocking before? And spent like a Saturday knocking on doors, inviting people to church, inviting them to a gospel meeting? That's a lot of work. It, it wears you out, and guess what? You receive a lot of rejection, too. And I imagine this is kind of how the disciples feel after a long day of door knocking, coming back to the church and reconnecting with our brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ and having fun and that camaraderie that comes in that moment. And so the disciples come back to Jesus, and they're excited. They're telling their stories. But Jesus can tell that they are weary from travel, and so they decide to withdraw to a desolate place. And so they hop in a boat, and we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, that they go to this place called Bethsaida, okay? And just to show you on the map, there, the, the limited commission would have take, taken place somewhere around here in Galilee. And so they would have gone from village to village preaching the Word of God in this area known as Galilee. And whenever they returned to Jesus, I believe that they would have returned somewhere around Nazareth or somewhere down here near Magdala. And they would have hopped in a boat right here and traveled north to this place, Bethsaida. Okay, now the feeding of the 5,000 would have taken place near this area of Bethsaida, somewhere around here probably. Okay? And so they get in this boat. They're tired. They need to withdraw. I want you to imagine it for a second. They reunite with Jesus and they need rest. And so they hop in this boat okay, and they push off into the water. But, you know, behind them, left on the shore, guess what there was? There was a crowd of people following them. And so what would have happened in that moment? I imagine the people would have said, where are y'all going? Tell us. And I imagine word would have spread like wildfire as soon as they figured out where the disciples were going. And suddenly you have this crowd of people chasing after this boat from the shoreline. Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When he went ashore... He saw a great crowd, excuse me, Mark chapter 6, verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So that is exactly what happened. From the shoreline, this crowd began to follow after the boat, and many of them arrived there in Bethsaida before the disciples and before Jesus. Can you imagine what the disciples would have felt in this moment? They're exhausted, they're hungry, they haven't gotten a break. And now you showed up to this place where you're going to get some rest, and there's more people waiting there, needy people in need of help. I think sometimes we get irritated whenever we're, our time of peace, our alone time gets intruded on. And so I imagine for the disciples, they were, there may have been some irritation here, but also I imagine there might have been some excitement because they see all the needy people. They know that something's about to take place, and so I'm just sure they were excited. Jesus, what are you going to do? What's about to happen? Verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So as this crowd catches up with Jesus and the disciples, I'm sure Jesus could just see the weariness on the people's faces, a reflection of the difficult journey that they had made just to be near to Jesus and near to the disciples. 
So Jesus can seize this, this weariness. And he says that they are like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when I read this passage, I can't help but think about what Jesus told the Pharisees whenever the Pharisees were questioning his disciples. Hey, why is your disciples hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors? Why are they hanging out with the lowest of the low, sinners? What did Jesus tell them? He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sheep without a shepherd. You know, Jesus didn't come for righteous people. He didn't come for the perfect people. He came for people who were in need. He came for the broken. Jesus came for the rejected. He came for the people who were sick in need of healing. And as Jesus looked at the crowd that day, I imagine this is exactly how he felt. Sheep without a, without a shepherd. And so Jesus goes to the people. Luke chapter 9, verse 11, we read, When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So Jesus begins to teach. And his words flow with the wisdom that touches the people's hearts. He speaks about the kingdom of God and how it's not of this world. And then he starts to talk about how if you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And the people that are there that day, they listen intently. There's quiet amongst the crowd as everyone's desperately trying to hear Jesus. Their eyes are bright with anticipation and because they know that something amazing is about to happen. And then Jesus begins to heal the sick. Over and over again, he performs incredible miracles. The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk. Can you imagine what it would have been like? Can you imagine dragging your loved ones across all kinds of terrain and hills and rocks, dragging our sick just to be near to Jesus, to get them there across Galilee. We would have made that journey. And I know as I stand before you this morning, Brother Burnett would. He would have made that journey. I think Brother Burnett would have done everything he could to get Martha in front of Jesus. Sister Sue, we would have done everything we could have to get her there, wouldn't we? And so the sick go to Jesus, and he performs incredible miracles. Luke chapter 9, verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. So as the day wears on, as the hours pass, the disciples begin to notice that hunger and weariness is gripping the crowd. The people have traveled near and far, and some of them have made a great journey. Now, I like the disciples here. I can identify with them. They're very pragmatic. They, they see all these people, and they know they're hungry. They know they're tired. And he says, they say, Jesus, we're out in the middle of nowhere. What are we going to do? In John chapter 6, we read, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 
They're saying, it's not enough, Jesus. This isn't enough food. How are we going to take care of all these people? Even if we take all the money we have, 200 denarii, and we go into the city and buy all the bread we can, it's not going to last. It's not going to be enough, Jesus. And so the disciples begin to doubt here. We see some doubt creep in. Do you think this is how Moses felt as he stood before the burning bush? And God speaks to him and says, you're going to go into Egypt and save my people. And Moses says, God, who am I? He has doubt in that moment. How about Sarah? Maybe this is how Sarah felt as she laughs at God whenever God promises her a child in her old age. And maybe this is how Thomas felt as he said, I won't believe until I can put my finger in the scar. Luke chapter 9, verse 13, we read, And he said to them, You give them something to eat. Isn't that an odd thing by Jesus to say here? You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. So how many people were there that day? I know the scripture says 5,000 men, but ladies, don't, don't take this bad. The truth is, back then, they didn't count women and they didn't count children. And so the reality is, the number that were there in attendance that day may have been as high as ten or 15,000. I mean, just do the math. If every couple that was there that day brought one child, that number adds up pretty quickly. So there was a lot of people, maybe ten to 15,000, and then Jesus tells them to take a seat. And in John chapter 6, we read that there was a lot of grass in this place. So there's so much grass over on this mountainside. And Jesus tells them all just to take a seat and break up into groups of 50. But you know, Jesus only has at this point five loaves and two fish. Even by modern day ways of feeding people, this would have been a monumental task to cater for this type of crowd. Brother Sammy, how many trays of barbecue would we need? It, it would be a lot. Think about all the food that we go through every day during our youth summer work. There's a lot of food that we go through in that week. And I honestly, if we gathered all the food up from that whole week, I don't know if it would have been enough for this crowd that day. Obviously, this was an impossible task. And so the disciples are questioning Jesus. And what's his answer here? He tells them, he says, you give them something to eat. Is Jesus, is Jesus mistaken here? No, he's not mistaken. I think he is trying to make a point. I think he is wanting to present a challenge to the disciples. Can they do this, this thing? Can they feed all 5,000 people? No, and neither could we. But, you know, even though we can't, God can. And I think sometimes that's not an easy thing for us to admit, that we can't do something whenever we're faced with a tough situation but even though we can't do it, God can. And I think many times we go to God and we say, God, you're asking me to do this thing, and I don't know how to do it. I lack what is necessary to complete this task. But you know, God already knows that you lack. He does. He knew it before he even asked the question. And before he said to his disciples, you give them something to eat, he knew how much food was out in the crowd. And the challenge was for them to get their eyes off of themselves and to get their eyes onto Jesus Christ. And that's the challenge for us also. 
verse 41 of Mark chapter 6. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So Jesus blesses and breaks the bread. He takes the bread. He takes the fish. And lifting his head to heaven, he utters a prayer of thanksgiving for the food that God has provided. And and so he breaks up the food and he begins to disperse it to the disciples. And the disciples begin to take it to the different groups of 50 all over the mountainside. Miraculously, that day you watch as fragments of food are multiplied in Jesus' hands. Person after person receives their share, more than their share. And their eyes light up with gratitude and wonder. And over and over you watch as the disciples return to Jesus to get more food and then go back to the groups of 50 to hand it off. Amazing, incredible. We read in John chapter 6, verse 12, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So each people, each person there, eats till they are full. They are more than satisfied. And as the meal concludes, Jesus instructs the disciples to go around and gather all the remaining fragments. They're very frugal. And so the disciples go from group to group, gathering up the morsels of food. Now, I don't think they were as sanitary in the first century as we are today. And so you imagine they've got these big loaves of bread, and they're just breaking off chunks of bread and eating it, and there's chunks left over. And so the disciples go to group to group, and they fill up 12 basketfuls. Would your doubts be satisfied in this moment? Your worries gone? Would you be built up spiritually? You see, what they started with that day didn't even fill one basket. But after feeding all those people, they have 12 baskets left over. So what does this tell us this morning about what happens when we bring our own shortcomings to Christ? What happens whenever we bring our own lack of ability, our own inability, and we put it in God's hands? See, what God does is He takes our shortcomings And it becomes an abundance in his hands. And this is just a simple truth, but I think we probably need to hear this more often. In order for us to see the power of God in our lives, and in our marriages, and in our homes, and for our children, whatever the situation is, we have to acknowledge our lack and our inability. We have to acknowledge our shortcomings. Bailey recently read this book called You're Not Enough. And that's okay. And that may sound harsh to you. You're not enough, and that's okay. But the truth is, we're not enough. And that is okay, because in Jesus, He is enough. He is more than enough. And so we must bring what we have to Jesus and place it before Him. And this morning, you might only have five loaves and two fish. That may be all you got. You may have less. Can you feed the 5,000 on your own? None of us can. You and I have to acknowledge where we come up short and then give that over to God. And He will provide. And so let's give Him our insecurities, our irritations, 
our problems. Let's give Him our doubt. And believe me, if you're anything like me, you've got doubt and you've got tough questions. And I would encourage you this morning, take your doubts and go find answers. Ask those tough questions. Those answers are out there, but at some point we have to take that doubt and give it over to Christ. And we have to take our problems and give it over to Him. And He will take it from us. He'll take that burden, He'll take that yoke and that weight off of us, and He will relieve us, and He will renew us, and He will satisfy us. God gives abundantly. Paul, speaking in Ephesians chapter 3, says, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. What is Paul saying here? He's saying God is able to do more than you, can, you and I can even ask, more than we can even imagine. We can't even go far enough in our prayers. God, you are able to do more than I can even think up in my mind. And so we need to go to God and lay those things at His feet, and He will provide. And that's the challenge of faith that we all face, if you haven't already. God comes to us in these difficult moments in our lives, when we've got problems, when bills are stacking up, when people are sick, and He challenges us to step up and to have faith in Him. But God usually does this by placing a seemingly impossible task at our feet. Do any of you have impossible tasks before you this morning? God comes to us and He says, do this. I've got this in store for you, so do this. And many times we say, God, but I I can't. I can't, God. I'm not able to do this. And he says, I know you're not, but I am. But I can. Have you put your faith in Jesus this morning? Are you going to trust him? Let's take our five loaves and our two fish and give it to Jesus. Let's take what what we have, what we can offer, and lay it before his feet. I think there's a strong misconception in the world today that we must be perfect in order to come to Christ. And so many times growing up, I sat in church and I knew I had problems and I knew I had things that I had to take care of. And so I sat there and I said, I'll take care of it later. I'll put that at Jesus' feet later when I'm ready and when I'm more perfect, when I've got these problems sorted out. But the truth is, God wants us to come to Him now with our problems, and He will provide. He will take care of it. He will relieve us of those burdens. And someday we're all going to stand before our Maker and be judged someday. And the truth is, if, if we don't take care of what is necessary to have a relationship with God, when we stand before our Maker someday, all He's going to see is Zach Fisher. All He's going to see is you. But if we're in relationship with Jesus Christ and we've obeyed Him from the heart, in baptism, then when we stand before God someday, He no longer sees Zach. He sees the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Don't you want that on the day of judgment? Folks, if we can pray for you, if we can love on you, if we can study with you, we would love to do that today. If there's some way we can help you or assist you, please come forward. But this morning, if you haven't come in contact with the blood of Jesus, let's take care of that this morning. Let's develop a relationship with our Savior. Please come to the front as we stand and as we sing.